Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Album Book Club. We're still uh, getting used to not having Jason around, and this month we are doing another interview. Uh, this time we have an interview with Toronto comedian Joe Vu. Joe Vu has performed at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, appeared on CBC's Debaters, and taken the stage at Just for Laughs. I met Joe while he was recording another podcast, Tracy Hamilton's Love is Everywhere, which I highly recommend. Joe and I got to talking about the mechanics of comedy, and I knew I wanted to have him on the show. As well as performing, Joe has done several videos on YouTube about the process and industry of comedy, and has released his own album, First Generation Comedian, which we touch on during the conversation. Stay safe, everyone, and enjoy our conversation Joe, thank yeah, Joe Vu, thank you for joining us at Comedy Album Book Club. Uh, thank you for having me. So I'm still getting used to being the main host, so I'm still using that like royal us. So yeah. forgive me. Um, but yeah, so I met you not too long ago. You recorded Trace uh, an episode of Tracy Hamilton's uh, Love Is Everywhere. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, and I, I actually that was the first place I saw you perform live was at one of her shows. Uh, oh, so you did. Did we talk about this? Did you say no, you saw me? No, no. It's yeah, sort of like in the remember. moment. But yeah, oh, I, okay. I, I had seen you perform there. And I think I'd seen your Winnipeg comedy, comedy set, set yeah. uh, on, on either YouTube or CBC. I can't remember. Nice. But so I had seen you perform a couple of times live and in, on t- in, in recording. Uh, so it's, it's terrific to have a chance to chat with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Right. I, I love talking about comedy. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that... You know, I mean, the, the comedy comedy album book club is we do a lot of old com- comedy albums and stuff, which makes it a little bit like kind of almost like forensics like in, yeah. in a way, because like some stuff like uh, we did an evening with 
Mike Nichols' Nolene May was our first album. Yeah. And that stands up, no problem. Yeah. But we did um, the Carnegie Hall album for Lenny Bruce. And, I mean, as much as he's influenced comedy, that does not hold up. Yeah. But once you start evaluating it within context, it's like, oh, okay, this is what he's doing. So it's like, it's the, the math and science of comedy that makes it interesting. Right. So, so when you say it doesn't hold up, do you mean like it's not funny, or, or do you mean like the the societal norms and like the a bit of column A and column B? It's because yeah. like just the way we've communicated has changed. We've moved because I, with him, he was definitely like an ally to the gay community before there was a gay community. Yeah, he was an ally to people of color. Uh, he was an ally to sex workers because like he grew up in a burlesque house kind of thing so he was definitely an ally but the language he used oh, okay just as like in our modern palette was like oh no yeah it's, it's like watching archie bunker and, and all right. of the family where it's like oh archie's a monster and it's like yes that's the point and and with lenny bruce is he's using his intellect to try to like just flip the script for a lot of people because he was very he mixed idiom and intellectualism, like local idioms and intellectualism in a way that's like, oh, keeps you off balance. Yeah. But as a modern listener, it's like, oh, this just doesn't click <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So, it, and there's a lot of stuff was like that. I mean, it's, uh, there's quite a few albums where it's just, oh, you got to like put your mind in the right context. And then it's like, okay, this, this makes sense. I mean, I, um, another one we did was uh the smothers brothers i can't remember the entire title but there's their purple onion so there's a club in san francisco which yeah. is a which is a folk club primarily but a lot of comedians performed there like robin williams was one of the people who performed there and it's like their comedy is very much of that 1960s folk era where comedy and folk and and uh just the underground music scene were sort of all the same scene for that like decade or, or half decade where it was all sort of mixing together uh and outside of that context it's like why are they singing basically a straight folk song on this this comedy album that's, kind that's of strange thing. yeah i didn't know that yeah so it's just it's just dissecting that and, yeah. and uh, put its context and and that comes back to that science like a joke now it in 20 years is it going to be funny i don't know like yeah. some might be some probably won't be and it's that's that's what we live talking about here cool cool yeah yeah so um when i reached out to you instead of an album you'd mentioned blake snyder's uh save the cat uh so how did that influence your comedy yeah well did you get a chance to yeah, yeah 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 so i don't know i like to mix a lot of different a lot of my different background into stand-up comedy and, 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 and film writing and script writing, I feel like it has a natural fit once you start doing longer sets. Mm -hmm. Like when you have a short set, you can do whatever. But when you have a longer one, I feel like you have to start telling a story. Yeah. And if you're telling a story, you should really look to screenwriting. Mm -hmm. uh, so Save the Cat, for the listeners who haven't read it, um, the, the premise of Saving the Cat is that if you introduce a character at the beginning of the movie, if you get them to do something nice that endears the audience, uh, they'll empathize with that person and they'll like them and be along for the ride. Uh, so save the cat could be like literally have your character save a cat mm -hmm. amongst other things. 
So I, I applied that to my stand-up where it's like, you ever notice when you're telling jokes to friends, it's so much easier. It's because they are already endeared to you. Yeah. Right. Amongst other reasons, like you could do inside jokes and stuff like that because you have a history. But uh, they like you a lot. People who like you will laugh at your jokes more and yeah. like are easier on you. So if you can introduce them to the Save the Cat uh, idea, then the rest of your set's going to be so much easier. So by do- the way I did that was like, you know, you could do it by self-deprecating things. Or mm-hmm. you could tell a, st- a story where you did an action that would get them to endear you- to you. Yeah. You know, tell-, tell a story, you save the cat or something like that, yeah. you know? Uh, in your album, First Generation Comedian, uh, there's there's a moment in Ottawa Hot, the, yeah. the tail end, where there's like an awe from the audience, like a, where it's like, oh, this audience is clearly on your side, yeah. and I, it feels like you know that early work that you put in at the beginning with the self deprecatory, yeah, kind of stuff is like where is where you build where, that bond that if like, you just launch straight into that, yeah, it wouldn't have been there like yeah yeah Yeah, totally my whole album is structured specifically you know a certain way like self-deprecating at the beginning uh showing like my weaknesses Mm -hmm. what how i need to improve as a person and then by the end showing some success showing some character growth just like in the movie yeah yeah Yeah. and it's it is like it's interesting because like it's you've got three different periods in there like of your comedy work Mm -hmm. and it's like if you really listen to it, it's like oh i can hear the difference but the way you've woven them together yeah it does feel like a story it feels like a natural progression thank you from there yeah it's really yeah it was was all it was all planned out uh to be to be that way excellent um now you're working on a new album right yeah well once you have this one out you you kind of start working on a new one but it's it's hard because it's like this one took like almost eight years to Mm -hmm. make right and and then now i'm going and doing sets where I don't have solid jokes anymore and you start doubting your writing ability. Will I ever write a funny joke as I did before? And yeah. it's hard. So then you got you just basically to help your ego a little bit, you mix in some old stuff with your new stuff. So it's not all terrible. Yeah. Yeah. As you're as you're trying to find good new stuff. So like balance out that, that that yeah. That, yeah. So you were a journalist and a copywriter before you got into comedy. Do you how does that impact your writing well i think copywriting helped me the most uh i think copywriting is basically like writing one-liners mm-hmm. like kind of like mitch hedberg would be yeah. like a great copywriter maybe he was i don't know but um <laughs> but yeah just like set up punchline set up punchline and it helped mm-hmm. me be very um i don't know uh what's the word where you're choosing your words carefully and uh and not a lot of words just being like precise with your language it's another word i'm trying to think for it but i can't think of it right now but yeah yeah so yeah just keeping my word count down yeah so i I, like in copywriting and and and, well and in um joke writing i'll have a thing where i'll look over my joke and i'll imaginary pay myself twenty dollars for every word i can take out Cool. And then you end up taking out a lot of words, <laughs> and then you're like, I didn't, I didn't actually really need those words in there. So just finding the shortest way to say things to yeah. people. That's something I've been struggling with. I, I started doing stand up and just like open mics and the yeah. second city courses, and like we'll have okay, you're given five minutes, and the rule of thumb is you know a hundred words per minute is yeah. about where it says it. And I'm like, I can never get it down to five. 
hundred words. Like it's just, yeah. I, I struggle so hard, and it's like, okay, am I wed to a concept, or is it, yeah. am, or am I wed to certain words? And it's that's my battle, and it's it's actually way better than it used to be. Like yeah. when I was writing sketches, I'd write like nine page treatments on a sketch that should be like three pages. I was gonna say, do you come from improv or sketch background? Because uh, uh, I find like especially improvisers they the word count is a lot higher than yeah. if you only did stand up yeah i started with because we started this podcast about a little over two years ago and jason who was the old host was uh is an actor and formerly like and he still does sketch comedy and a bit of stand up from time to time uh but primarily an actor and sketch comedian and he'd have all these like local we'd have all these guests who are local comedians or comedy writers and stuff and i'm like the guy who works in insurance in the room so i'm like i love comedy but i'm like i've not gone up there and i just felt like a like yeah but you bring a different perspective yeah yeah so but that my thing was like i want to be able to roll with these guys like roll with the punches when they get riffing so i started taking some improv and that and i took i'm now doing level two uh nice. at second city and next semester i'm doing some writing like level b right yeah yeah, yeah. so uh it where basically you're just getting up every night with five more minutes and and like w- i'm looking forward to that being done if only because i can then stop generating new content every week and start like just refining stuff and and, yeah. and spend some time writing as in stand-up comedy yeah or? okay yeah so, so you're taking an improv class and a I took improv class. I've taken I did a through e yeah uh, for those who don't know that's the full basic course range at second city um then stand-up one and stand-up two oh, okay and uh next semester I'm just taking writing which is going to be sketch nice um but I, I yeah I just I found I feel the most comfortable in stand-up I mean that's where I yeah I was introduced to comedy. That's where it came from. Like my earliest memories were like of comedy, uh, or like listening to my dad's, you know, Carlin and Cosby and all these these records in the '60s and '70s that he was listening to. Listening to them into like the late '70s and early '80s, and yeah. that that's just where that love came from. Um, yeah, I find I, I mean I just find myself most comfortable in that because like i love improv because that entire like team collaborative feeling it's nice. is, yeah, is cool. nice like and the, and and generally like high school improv sucked because everybody's like i'm i'm gonna i gotta yeah. get the laugh but in, in reality grown-up improv people or as it should be people are there just to help one another to get to that point where they want to be happy yeah. um and sketch is fun because you can really drill down on stuff you can get an idea and like really explore the bizarreness of that idea yeah but like with improv you're kind of beholden to the group and sketch you don't really can't really be a lot like in the moment you're in the moment but you have to stick to the lines yeah. whereas stand up i'm able to like just i can chart my own course it's and, kind of like an in between the two then of improv and sketch. Yeah, it's right? like the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's yeah. like you plan some stuff, but if you want to go off course, you're allowed to also. Yeah, and like sometimes you'll just be in the moment and a tag comes to you like right there yeah. and you can try it out. And if it gets a laugh, it gets a laugh. If not, you're like, oh, okay, don't do that again. Or wait for a different yeah. room and see if it works there. I, I think there's something that happens to our brains while we're on stage and we get a vibe for the audience yeah. that we can think of this tag that we would never think of just sitting at home. Yes. you know and yeah. 
and and I find that that also carries with me a little bit as I walk off stage. Like I could still feel the things that worked with this audience and what didn't work, and like I'll think of tags off the stage, but immediately within the hour, yeah. it's almost as if I'm on the stage saying those tags too, and I I, I think of my best stuff yeah. while I'm on the stage or like within an hour of performing. It's like this residual energy, yeah, yeah right? of the audience. Yeah, it kind of hangs around. Yeah, I've I've only been able to perform the the second city classes i don't really count them as yeah. a real audience i mean they're they're lovely family and friends who i appreciate yeah. laughing at my jokes but they're a little generous um so i only have the two real extremes i i did stand up before an, a paying audience last week but it's still similar to that mm -hmm. it was uh the sketch and improv troupe let us yeah the, those of us who do stand up do a set so we had like three there yeah. and sort of the opening act at a valentine's day show and did a like a, a set that was basically the story of how i met or how i started dating and eventually proposed to my wife oh, nice. and it is like it's again it's just like you're yeah. very generous <laughs> well yeah yeah those 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 shows you're getting a lot of different bumps right you're yeah. getting you're getting the like friends and family because like i said they they know you yeah right uh they want you to do well um and then also probably from those classes they know you're new to it so you're yeah. getting the new bump and yeah. then you're also getting like just the general second city niceness bump yes <laughs> yeah and, and but then the other extreme is i've done a couple of open mics in the city and i want to do more yeah. Yeah, those are the extremes <laughs> it's the other the entire opposite extreme where it's like if you get a huh yeah and, from anybody other than your classmates and yeah. like you're you're pretty lucky and like both night well one night was great and that was as at another bar with mark hallworth yeah uh, mark was, brings good energy so. yeah he's just such a wonderful human yeah, very being. positive so it, it leaks to the show right? yeah, yeah yeah so that was a good night and uh, uh, and still even then like there's weirdness yep. because of it being an open mic you get the weird people in and i've done i went tried going to a couple of other shows well, i did one other night um at a place that i won't name yeah and a guy just fucking melted down yeah. <laughs> he's just totally That's... but not like a oh i'm losing my set in a i'm throwing chairs and swinging the mic stand around and hitting things and then when he gets off because he obeys the light oddly enough yeah starts throwing beer Probably conditioning or something yeah the light yeah oh, oh like, ah. my pavlovian response yeah, yeah. time to get off <laughs> He starts throwing beer cans at the hosts. That's nuts. And it's like, I mean, I don't know if that's reflective of the general tone of that that night, uh, but it was just, it was like, oh, this is that, very off. -putting. That sounds rare for any open mic. Yeah. To me, so yeah. that was, yeah, that's not the norm. At, no. Probably. But then the other night that I went to, where they, the just the list filled up within minutes. Um, so I didn't get on. It was just like the first half of the set was very disturbing men making very disturbing jokes that are like are you trying to be the joker right yeah. now because this is just oh man Ugh. yeah so, uh, you start to get to know who's gonna joke like that and then if you see a lot of those people at the mic you're like i hope i get to go early so i can go before them and yeah. not kill the vibe like not have an audience left that's already dead yeah. because like all the crazy material yeah and the, the wild thing for me too though is in both cases like after a certain point, it was real. It was people who I, I know do 
it professionally working new material being yeah. super funny. So it's like yeah. once you get past that hump, wherever it is in the list and probably <laughs> towards the middle because those guys are all there super early waiting to sign up. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's the people who are actually doing this because they not because they can't afford therapy and yep. actually are like work workshopping a joke or a bit kind of thing. And it's that that's the it's like a just such a, a totally like it's a totally different experience. So it's yeah. a I'm 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 enjoying the experience, but it's just uh, yeah. it's hard to well, you're figure just, out. You're just going from one extreme to the other. You need to like trudge through enough, enough open mics that you get to the point where you're booked on some shows. Yeah. And that's the middle ground. Yes. Right? And that's what you want to be doing, just like booked shows that have audience members that yeah. isn't an open mic. Yeah. Now, um, I've been watching your video series um, laying out a lot of the fundamentals and you talk about some great stuff like structure and the nature of a room and, and uh, the, your, the inspirations that you've had, like what inspired yeah. you to make that video series? I have two. So that's like the life of a stand up, and then like uh, explaining the joke. Or... I've been watching both. Oh, both of them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well to be, to be honest, I was trying to make some YouTube money. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the beginning of it but i i also like didn't want to do anything unless i'm having fun doing it mm -hmm. and i did have a lot of fun doing it and i learned a lot about editing uh and but like i also said before to you i just love talking about comedy like the yeah. the science of it and trying to figure out why things work because i've always been a, a planner and that's why i wasn't great with improv because i was in my head too much yeah but stand up you you can be in your head before you get on stage yep. being in your head on stage is not great but like i like to to kind of minimize the number of times i bomb whatever way it can be so like trying to figure out the science of of a joke helps them. yeah um now talking about that science i mean so there's sort of two factors there's the science of the room and the science yeah. of the joke um for people who are maybe not as familiar why don't we start with the joke uh, like how like because there's like trying to find the pace like that magic pace of like okay here's where i need to hit the beats mm -hmm. like what goes into that is there like a method that you use or is it just like natural at this point you know like when i write a joke i, I try not to think about any of the science stuff because mm -hmm. there's too many things and too many rules to think about and then you'll just not be able to write anything at all mm -hmm. uh so i'll just write the joke out and then afterwards, after the joke is done, then you go back to it and you, you try to plus it up by by making sure, you know, you, you leave enough pauses before punchlines. There's varying, like, sentences to keep things interesting. Uh, where Where is this? What, what, what kind of joke is this? Is this going to be an opening joke? Is this mm -hmm. going to be later in your set? Like, there's so many factors that you start to think of after you write the joke. And that's that's my process, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And now, what about like for example, like I performed at like the SoCap on the second floor, which yeah. is a, a weird space because it's high ceilings, but it's still kind of dark and still kind of intimate because it's kind of narrow, so people are still mm -hmm. cramped in. Um, versus something like you know the two rooms at Comedy Bar, where like the cabaret room, which is pr very tight, um, but the ceilings are I still feel a bit higher there yeah. than in the main room where it feels like that really low ceiling kind of experience 
Um, and then like open mics where it's just like giant freaking rooms with like yeah. no aesthetic or thought to what would make it yeah. a good space. There's there's so many things to what jokes will work where. So like you were talking about the size of the room, right? Like yeah. if you're in a small intimate space versus if you're doing like not that any of us would do it like a stadium or something or a mm. concert hall. Uh, generally, you have to would have like higher energy and be mm. more big, right? Because if you're just this quiet, tiny little person in this big st- stadium, it's not gonna translate well. Mm-hmm. So nat- so naturally, like if I was taping an album, I wouldn't want to do like some huge concert hall or something yeah. or something a big space or high ceilings. Like we could just even narrow it down to like high ceilings or not. I'd want to do it in a tight space because my comedy works better in a smaller room with mm-hmm. a, a tight group of people there's um did you watch my name is dolomite on Netflix? no the eddie murphy the eddie murphy it's yeah. really good and and one thing i noticed about that because it, like it's a real guy who basically worked his way up as a stand-up yeah um and then got into like these sort of very silly shaft-like movies uh but like he found this character after sort of doing very typical stuff, but he found this character that was unique, a unique voice that he really brought to life. But his first album he recorded in his like living room. Yeah. So he just, but he got like 30 people in and was serving them booze. And it's this really tight space. And there's like him right in front of his bed with a jazz band yeah. gathered around to him playing in the background. And it's like, and that is that, is that like, it's a contagiousness of laughs. It's like he, he knew that he needed people to be, all together yeah and in that room and it's like you know when you're sitting next to somebody who's laughing it it you it makes you more inclined to laugh yeah like sometimes it'll be just like oh that's funny but if somebody's going you're gonna join it that's the whole idea of like laugh tracks yeah right the science behind why it worked before until people are too savvy now and can pick up on it and think it's cheap yeah yeah Mm -hmm. because but laughter yeah begets laughter and it's like that um i do a lot of the JFL 42 stuff, or at least I have for a while. I'm sort of taking a bit of a break right now. Yeah. Uh, or last year I did. And uh, they, they moved back to the, I can't remember the name of the theater, but on the uh, CNE grounds. Um, mm-hmm. like the Queen, I don't know, some royal name. And it's that, that space is just a nightmare yeah. when it comes to comedy. Because I, I've seen a whole bunch of really funny people there. And it's like, it's flat, just doesn't work. high ceiling. Yeah. Like even in the audience, you can't hear the other people laughing. Oh, because that's it's, no good. It's just like so spread out, and the acoustics are good for hearing from the stage, but it's designed yeah. in such a way that it's sort of hushed. And I mean, that's why I prefer like the they have a lot of shows at the Royal, yeah, which is like a movie theater, but that seems more inclined to a better show yeah. than this big theater with just sucks up the sound. Yeah. And and the size, the size of a a room also like is important for the style of comic you are. Like, um, one of my friends likes to do like riskier, mm-hmm. riskier jokes that are either hit or miss. Yeah. So like, if he did a small room, it's that's gonna be again hit or miss because there's gonna be only like thirty people or whatever. Yeah. And if he does something that's really out there, there's a chance that none of them find it funny. It's it's a small sample number. Yeah. Right, but if he's doing like a a two hundred seater, like at a club, mm-hmm. like absolute comedy or yuck yucks or something, that that's much better for him because yeah. some at least like five or six people will start to laugh at it. Right, that'll be their sense of humor, and that will lighten 
hearing that laugh will lighten other people and then they'll they have verification that he's you know that's yeah, yeah. An okay that's an okay joke but if there's no one laughing then it's hard to get off the ground yeah right so is it like you need like kindling for the fire yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, so with the sheer number of people, there's going to be some kindle. Yeah. Now you've done you've done Winnipeg, you've done festivals and and shows. Like, what are like so comparing like doing recording a set for TV versus like getting up on a on a stage at a at a local room? Like, how is how is it like? I guess has the preparation different, and and what are the kinds of things that you do up on stage differently? Uh, okay. The preparation would be, I think it, the preparation wouldn't be any different for something like you hadn't done before. Like think about your first 10 stand up performances. You practice the, the hell out of it, right? Because yeah. it's a new thing. And then w after a few years, you don't, you're not scared anymore because mm -hmm. you've done it so much, but then TV is like a new level, right? Yeah. So, so then you're preparing it the same way that you'd prepared those first 10 times. You're just practicing the hell out of it again. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like every level that you reach, every new or higher level, it's kind of like you do the same thing you did the levels before. Cool. Um, uh, what, was other, what was the other half of the question? Oh, just, and, and like once you're up there, how, how does it feel different? Like what do you do differently or how do you handle the set differently? Yeah, because it's a it's a big stage. I think Winnipeg had like, close to 800 people wow and i told you that uh that i'm a quieter comic right yeah. so then I, I just have to give more energy show more expression move a little bit <laughs> i usually anchor myself yeah so i want to because you you don't want to it's all about again making that rep rapport with people right because if they like you then they'll laugh with you yeah if, if i'm just looking straight ahead and not involving like the sides of me my left side my right stage right and stage left then I'm not going to be connecting with those people and they're not going to find me as funny. Yeah. So I have to kind of move and turn and walk around and look around, involve everyone, bring them in, have them into me as a person. So they'll root for me for when I get to the climax or like the, um, the best parts of my jokes that they'll mm -hmm. be really into it. Cool. Yeah. Um, now uh, you're working on a new album. Are you planning on, playing with the because like they kind of played with the format in, yeah in your first one are you planning on trying that it's not necessarily the same thing but playing with format a bit at all i don't think it, yeah the first one I, the format that i played with was I, I tried to as close as i could it was not um it was chronologically played mm -hmm. like the jokes in the early in my album were like jokes that i wrote early and then so you could kind of see my growth not only like they could see that I was getting funnier or like you could also see my growth as a person mm -hmm. depending on the types of jokes I was doing. Uh, I don't think I'm going to play with format too much, but I always like to have a theme. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to do some sort of roots or like Vietnam travel kind of theme. Cause I, I am planning, cause I feel like good writing comes from experience. I, I am planning to go back and live in Vietnam for a, at least like three months oh, wow. i feel like that's going to help me like have a new perspective on things see my yeah. roots a bit better and like have a ton of material maybe and so the my next album would be vietnam focused yeah. you thought of maybe trying to do comedy in vietnam i, I think i will too there there is uh, a burgeoning scene it's not to like vietnamese people that's to expats mm -hmm. so it'll be in english to, uh, to other people who speak english well yeah uh, i saw 
Matteo Lane at the um, Comedy Cellar. Yeah. Uh, couple of years ago now yeah it was before the guy with the mustache, right? yes yeah <laughs> and totally ripped uh yeah, uh, yeah he's uh I, I follow him on instagram and it's like him and like uh, one of the cast from community i can't actually look at instagram on public transit because of the two of them <laughs> because like half the time it's like them like one's a man one's a woman both of them are in various states of undress yeah and I mean, if I had either of their bodies, I would be doing that too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, so as a digression, <laughs> but yeah, so I saw him perform at comedy bar or comedy cellar. And I actually did see him at comedy bar. Um, he's like a freaking amazing performer, uh, like opera singer, uh, animator, illustrator, write sketch and stand up and just yeah, like very cool. just like true renaissance man um and he lived in italy and like worked as an opera singer in italy for a while it just has a lot of life experience yeah yeah that and like, helps yeah and he did this one set the set i saw at comedy bar was him performing barbara streisand's songs from like the 60s when she was couch surfing in the east village yeah and going to all of those like little clubs that were like folk comedy clubs but any anyhow, what he he is like Italian Mexican, um, I think Irish. I don't know. He's yeah. like he's like got a multi ethnic mix, and we saw him, and he just like he was like talking to the audience, doing crowd work, and talking because it's New York. There's a good chance you've got tourists there. Yeah, it's like anybody from Italy, and then he just slides into Italian and starts doing jokes in Italian, where it's like, like that is in incredible like just to be able to slip between languages and because i can't like language is so particular like what works as funny in one language is not necessarily especially like in comedy where there's so much wordplay yep it's a completely different but there's also cultural things too yeah yeah Yeah. like like what's funny to like a guy from you know rome is not necessarily going to be funny to a guy from des moines kind of thing and like I, i know my my parents and 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 their friends and stuff they would i think they would enjoy more physical comedy yeah so yeah. stuff like that it's just a cultural thing oh yeah, yeah. and i mean that's like well like just just for laughs yeah 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 gags or whatever yeah. they call it or even like my grandparents generation like uh, heather and i will joke all the time whenever we see something that looks like benny hill yeah. kind of like it's totally like weirdly sexy slapstick about how her <laughs> grandmother would have loved it yeah <laughs> it's just like that's the humor that they found coming out of that moment in time is like yeah, yeah tiny man with cotton balls on his chest chasing a busty woman oh yeah. comedy yeah, but now it's just that doesn't well yeah. yeah we have our own like jackasses and stuff like that but yeah it was, it's i just find like that 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 intersection of language and culture yeah so incredible and when people can just jump between the two it's it's like it's just so impressive so bananas um now you held off on telling your parents that you were working in comedy for a while yeah and you you know you made the jump you you did stop your day job what was the cue for you like when did you feel like oh this is I mean, aside from, because I know you talk about it on your web series about finding like that, you, you set aside a nest egg and yeah. you planned out investments and stuff like that. But at, from a creative point of view, what was your like trigger of, oh, this is, this is when I need to do this. Creatively, like I wanted to do it almost right away. 
it was just a matter of the financial uh, responsibility mm. of making the switch. And I knew that, that you know, comedy doesn't pay well <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't a matter of, like, creative. It was a, a matter of, like, do I have the money to, to, to make the jump? Mm-hmm. And it took me three years of kind of, like, living frugally and saving up and having that nest egg to kind of wean off on as i'm i'm doing comedy full-time mm-hmm. um now you talk a lot about merch yeah. as, a, as a way to generate revenue as as a comedian um is is that a core component because i think you were saying you'd make almost in some shows you'll make almost as much if not more than you do at the yeah. door a lot a lot of co- comedian canadian comedians don't do merch and i don't understand why i feel like they feel like it's begging or beneath them or something or mm. but um it helps so much uh you do have to do a show that's big enough to to wor- make it worth bringing up merch mm-hmm. because then you kind of look like a fool if you're performing to six people and you're like i'm selling merch after yeah you're like uh and then everyone just walks by you the yeah. six people so uh and then there's also like a certain amount of time you should be doing like if i just drop in and do a five six minute set i feel like I haven't built that rapport with people yet yeah. for them to know that um, that an album would be worth it for them to buy. Mm-hmm. So once once I do a show where I do a decent amount of time over 10 minutes set and the audience size is a decent amount, then I'll, I'll pitch the merch. Um, but yeah, I, I have a whole a whole line of stuff now. Oh, cool. <laughs> it started it started with buttons and then one button and then and then more. And I have like six seven different to choose from from and then i switched to greeting cards because cool. uh, uh, I, I could i could just like kind of write funny things mm-hmm. like and uh, that that could be universal they could use it for different holidays and then now i have my album out so i have yeah. like three different things to sell yeah because i i mean i it's it is interesting because i have i don't know many canadian comedians who do it but i mean i saw ali wong and and she made a point of saying her husband would be out selling the merch yeah and made him work the merch table that's, that's the thing i don't think a, a lot of the really big comedians they won't work the merch table because if they do people are gonna i people are gonna talk their heads off yeah, yeah. so and then knowing and then every, the line will get clogged and then they can't sell yeah. any so yeah. they always got a neutral person like ronnie chang uh hired me to sell his merch for him oh, wow. at jfl 42 yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was the the other one as Harry Condablu. I saw him. Yeah, he sells. Uh, yeah, and that was great because I got to like talk. Got he signed my copy of his album. Yeah, and... he's very serious about merch. He'll like run after like I opened for him at JFL Forty Two, mm-hmm. and um, we're, uh, I saw him backstage. Like once he s- says thank you, thank you everyone. He goes to the back. Like I was just sitting in the dressing room waiting. He comes. He like he literally ran and grabs the merch, and then he he's like, "We'll talk later." And then yeah. he like goes to the front because yeah. he doesn't want to miss anyone. It's, and he's like really generous with his time too. Yeah, like, and that's that's something I like. That's really nice, you know, because yeah. like a lot of comedians are like, "Ah, oh, yeah." So you 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 bought merch and you talked to him. Or I bought merch mean... and I talked to him and yeah. got him. You were a clogger, line clogger. Well, I like, just just about. for a couple of seconds, I was <laughs> okay. like, "Hey, big fan." Yeah, I really love your okay, that. Matthew. I I saw his. Uh, uh, the Apu special yeah. that he did, and I was like, "That was an amazing special." Thanks, like, because I I do recognize like I don't want to be that guy who's like stick clogging up the line. And I always yeah. feel <laughs> awkward about that too. I still remember when I was in the university, first year university, I went to Ryerson, 
Yeah. And Tori Amos, because I'm like one of those like proto emo goth kids. Nice. I'm like, oh, Tori Amos is coming, and she was playing Massey Hall. Yeah. So I lurked backstage with about 20 other fans before she got there. So we lined up at like three in the afternoon because like, well, it's university. Fuck class. I, yeah. I'm going to line up to like, and I didn't, I was just like, I just gave her, I gave, my grandfather was a, a classical composer and I gave her a copy of his music. Yeah. And she, and she's like, oh, do you want to autograph? Like, no, no, no. I just wanted to pass that along. Thank you. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God. I was like, everybody was jealous. She gave me like this big hug and that was totally yeah. not what I was going for. And I felt yeah. really awkward, but it's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy who makes it so the other person behind me doesn't get an equal amount of time. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he, he's like, Hari is just a nice person who yeah. is willing to spend time with his fans. And it's nice. To, and it's, that's something I find comedians are more willing to do in yeah. a lot of ways. Like they're like a musician, like they disappear. Yeah, kind of thing. But I, I, no, I'm I'm very surprised about it actually. Like, so many times a bigish name headliner will be like, "Oh, I'm just gonna if you guys want to have a chat, I'm just hanging out, having a drink later. Come say hi." Yeah, or something you don't hear that often. Like, to say hi to the like the lead singer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's like it's because I think comedy is all about these connections. It's about yeah. the, so you have people who are like, "I want to make a connection with people." Yeah. So they're more prone or willing to spend some time and talk with people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I'm, all, I'm also yeah. sure it's probably because a lot of them want to get laid too. <laughs> that, Whereas like yeah. the, the lead singer of a rock band has no problems with that. Where the, yeah. the headliner of some show is like, oh man, I need to get laid tonight. I'll, uh, I'm having a drink. Uh, come say hi. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're good looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, but you know, it's like, oh, Jim Jeffries used to yeah. have a lot of bits about like, crazy sex escapades that he would get up to and i'm like this is just sounding a little bit desperate like the guys that i knew who talked a lot like this about sex did not actually have all this sex it's like oh yeah i'm like oh i'm getting it oh yeah just trying to show show off his value or like peacocking exactly exactly and uh yeah he's still funny as hell but it's just like i'm a little bit skeptical right now yeah Uh, so are there any specials or or albums that you find like really speak to you or maybe informed your, uh, your comedy voice i i liked uh ali wong's special mm-hmm. um i like aziz generally yeah yeah so i'd say those two yeah like did you see i mean you probably did see the uh the specially did after the sort of controversy aziz? yeah yeah i yeah. watched it yeah i thought it was like if eddie if i thought that was really powerful in that it was like it addressed things head on and it took yeah, he ownership. Talks about things, yeah. He talks about it. And it's like people are like, Oh, there's no patent. I'm like, yes, there is. Look at disease. Like yeah. it's not the scale of some of the other horrible people who, who came out at the same time. Yeah. But it's like it's declaring ownership over over things and being honest and not abdicating. And it was no, I don't want to say endearing. Yeah. It, but it was like it was refreshing to see somebody talk about know how they fucked up and how they're sorry and then say and this isn't about me this is about them yeah and respect these this be the person that i hurt yeah yeah well yeah if i if i ever did anything similar to him i I would that's how i would want to handle it yeah in in my stand-up yeah and it's it's like uh um 
I hate to even say the name, but Louis C.K. being so in the news now. Yeah. With his like, like it was nine months before he started. Like, I'm going to take a step back and and reflect. It's like that's less time between like. It's not even the time you take break in a break between the seasons of your TV show. Yeah, you already are back on the circuit, yeah. and it's like. And I think his first setback, there was a leak of it, and he totally dissed Asian guys by about our dicks somehow. Like, it was just it was like low hanging. Yeah, it was very fruit, low hanging just, fruit, and it's like like genitalia. Yeah, joke. it's like hack material. Yeah, where it's just like, what is he doing? And it was, I, mean, I don't know. I this one of the reasons I love. Um, the comedy cellar every time I go to New York, but I kind of don't think I can go back there just for the fear of because he shows up there at random and yeah. I don't want to be in the audience with him there. Yeah. You, know? you, would, you wouldn't feel comfortable. I wouldn't feel comfortable. I, I yeah. mean, yeah, and I, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I really respected that guy's work for a long time. Totally. And then, like, because he gets the the science of it. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if anybody, he's he's one of those people who's like totally understands the process. Yeah, and he's able to take material that has no right being funny, mm-hmm. and makes it resonate in such a way where it's and it's revelatory in a lot of ways. It's like yeah. it's like Archie Bunker. He was doing a stand up Archie Bunker yeah. kind of thing, and yeah. So it's like I don't want to be in the comedy cellar, arms crossed. Like, and I don't even want to be the guy who's walking out. So I'm just like, oh, there's Caroline's or something else yeah. in New York I can go to, or I'll go to one of the like little indie places in Brooklyn or something like that and support like smaller comedians. But yeah, yeah, it's just it's weird because it's like, like I can't imagine like having I don't know having to live in constant fear of like those pr- other women, those women who are professionals, like. Is he going to be on the bill with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, or even like that, like Harvey Weinstein situation. So this is a he, weird. He showed tangent. up at a. He showed yeah, up at a comedy comedy show. guard, and then the comedy show, and and then harassed, yeah. and his security harassed people who were calling him out on it, and it's like, fuck, it's like just such a. It's like yeah. I don't know, like being at the tier that I am at the end, like I just meet nice people. And mm. so it's like, yeah. I, 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 I can't understand how toxic some people can be in comedy. Yeah. People with less morals often can get to the top easier. So there's more yeah. of them uh, up top too, because they don't care about stepping on other people or doing things to other people. Yeah. So, yeah. so sorry, that was a very strange tangent oh, no. to go no. down. Um, but yeah, no, Aziz, I loved, I loved his yeah. his latest special just because it's, it was honest and and there's ownership too like as a bigger guy some of the stuff he said about his nephew was like yeah ouch and he's like man i said a lot of fucked up <laughs> shit i am truly sorry for yeah. and it did lasting damage to people i love and, and which is something that not many comedians acknowledge in their yeah. material uh, I think really good comedians are good at being self-aware, so that yeah. he's able to recognize things that he did helps him yeah. be better. Yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes goes from there. Yeah, yeah. And Ali Wong is just fucking astounding. I've seen her tw- twice when she yeah. played. I saw her at JFL forty two. Um, what, the night after she recorded her special. 
So there was a sign because they might have been doing pickups or something from the stage or something like that for the special. Like, you might be on the... But... So she was pregnant. So, yeah. So that yeah. was when she was pregnant. And then I saw the second time when she came back and she was pregnant again yeah and i was like okay is this a bit or yeah. is she actually pregnant yeah, oh yeah. no she was really pregnant yeah, a yeah. second time you thought she might pull out a pillow or something yeah like, yeah exactly kidding? i just didn't know what to, she didn't address it yeah in, in, at all which is like which is even better because if she yeah. was like off the top or even waited to the end but she just left that like was that yeah. a bit i don't know <laughs> kind of if she ever gets accidentally or on purpose pregnant again she'll for sure release another album <laughs> yeah, right she just yeah. has, she just has to it by this point yeah and she, like i i first saw her on uh, at midnight yeah that like and which is like that's always a weird because they write for the comedian and they've got comedy writers all, like on staff mm -hmm. who are stand-ups yeah so it's like it's not really their voice, but it is because they contribute and they sort of like, it's a lot more scripted than it seems. But from the get go, I was like, she's just charming. Yeah. In a really hyper aggressive way. <laughs> but it's like, it's a charming hyper aggressive, just like yeah. this intense energy. Very that, expressive. Yeah. yeah. And it's very honest. Yeah. Like when she makes a joke, it's just like, it's, it's what she thinks. And you're either along the for the ride the or The filter is off and she's also very entertaining yes yeah so. like and there, there's some like going back to like an open mic that i went to there's some people who like filter is off and it's but just they're like, not entertaining that's not yeah. funny just yeah. because you're like being crass up here yeah. like her natural self is funny she took off the filter some you don't want to see some people's natural self <laughs> yeah when they take off that filter yeah exactly yeah. but so, hers you do yeah yeah, yeah. and uh and, yeah it's, she's just a, just a joy to watch so uh, one last question. Yeah. It's true. an important one. What animal would your comedy be? Oh, wow. I, uh, that's a hard one. I, I, I did stand up as an animal before. Okay. There was this, uh, comic in this scene called Dan Curtis Thompson. Do you know who mm -hmm. that is? Yeah. Uh, he does, his show's called, uh, well, it's not running anymore, but, um, I don't know what the name of it, but the the idea behind it was that you had to embody an animal and then do your comedy in it. And I, I picked the turtle. Okay. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm very similar in that I like to hide in my shell when, mm. when things get scary. I'm also very slow and, mm. and kind of like steady. Uh, but I don't know if my stand-up is like a turtle. Because that's the question, right? Not like, yeah, so who you, am I as a person or a comedian? Who, yeah. who am I as a comedian? But who, who is my comedy as yeah. an animal? Uh, it's maybe an owl. Okay. Thought, thoughtful yeah, and very wise. wise. Yeah. yeah. But a dirty owl <laughs> that's willing to... Like a barn owl, not like one yeah. of those great horned owls or yeah. something. It, yeah. it's, not, it's not so majestic. It'll, it'll like maybe sleep around with some other owls and stuff like that too it's a seedy a seedy owl yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect so if people wanted to find uh you where could where could they like to see me perform you mean see you or, perform or like, find you online yeah uh well i don't know it'll probably be too late when this gets put out but i'm, I'm at absolute all this week hosting uh, but you'll all, you'll find me at Absolute Comedy a bunch of times. I'll I'll mm -hmm. I'll do sets there a lot. Uh, comedy Bar is a pretty big hangout. But I also do a lot of shows at the John Candy Box Center mm -hmm. at Second City. 
uh, online, like you said, uh, you talked about. I have two YouTube series. If you're interested in comedy, like I, I do deep dives into the science behind it and also like the life of a stand-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of videos of of me just floating around YouTube and Facebook. One one video uh, went viral, got eight million views. Oh wow! Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Do you get any YouTube money for that one? It was on Facebook. Oh, so, yeah. That's the bane of YouTube money. Is like oh. everybody's like looking at things on Facebook now, so it doesn't get monetized. It's not, yeah, uh, and it was a CBC video, so th- if if it did, they would get the money. Oh. But I did get a lot of fans through it, and then I tried to funnel that to my YouTube videos. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, but because of the yeah because it went viral, that's I started getting fans, and then that's why I was like maybe I can try to funnel my Facebook fans into YouTube, and then I can make all these YouTube videos, and I and I did. I, did, I said I'd, I'd go at it for a year, and if it didn't take off, because it was taking a, you know, a bunch of time to yeah. produce it and edit and all that, then I wouldn't continue with it anymore. And it, it, did, it didn't kill, so I was like, I'm going to focus on like stand-up and, and mm-hmm. trying to get into writer's rooms and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks yeah. very much. This is, this is awesome. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.